Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. Before I introduce this week's panelists, know this, that this show also is a game in which points are awarded for well-made arguments, cogent thoughts about the film, jokes, and anything else I feel like awarding. Right now, one of your panelists does have six points and the other has two. If you want to figure out why, go over to yourpotfilter.com slash Patreon. And the winner is my best friend for a week, and they have gloating rights. This season, we're digging to 1975. This week, we're moving and grooving with a shampoo. I am your host, Mike Gravano. Your first panelist is my best friend of last week. Give it up for Ryan. Hey, Mike. Hey. What's wrong, buddy? You sat down in the dumps, champ. I did so bad. I did so bad. I'm, I, what I really want to do is talk about shampoo. But what, okay, well, we're not here yet. I should at least introduce Greg before we start doing that. No, I don't want to just start talking about shampoo. I'm just saying I'm very excited to talk about shampoo and not previous movies that were in the 1975 season. Oh, don't. Yeah, don't do that. Okay, so just shampoo then. Well, Greg and then shampoo. And then right, no, and Greg's here. No hey! other movies. Thanks for introducing me, Mike. I did not win last week, but I also feel like I wasn't the biggest loser. See, see, this is what I was talking about, Mike. Mm-hmm. This, I knew this was going to fucking happen. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is weird because, Greg, you did lose, but you're coming in with a real winner energy, uh-huh. and Ryan is a bit of a sad sack. And Do you see where my thumbs are here, Mike? They are actually under my suspenders, which I was sort yeah, of drawing which is away cool. from my chest in sort of like, like a concert motion to uh, ha- that I'm living so it So you're, you're not a big city lawyer. Have you ever I heard the term that. that it takes three to tango? How about that? Uh, yeah, let's no. assume that I'm familiar with that. Yes. Okay. It takes three to lie, yeah. two to lie, and one to listen. <laughs> These are all terms that uh, exist in the world. All right, Ryan. Stop beating around the bush. Why are you a sad sack loser? Fuck up. You two amazing podcasting giants. Thank you. Just pillars Respect. of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, recorded an absolutely incredible conversation with me i was there but so uh, good yeah whatever you know (laughs) uh with me about the film one flew over the cuckoo's nest right and not only were you guys amazing at speaking about it but you also recorded what you talked about and i lost graciously Mm -hmm. that's the most important part that we should be focusing on greg lost the game wait hang on i might have helped you helped you bury the lead there what was that last part you said big guy no yeah unbury that lead no, no, dig no. it up i did all i Get said all i grave dirt under your fingernails i said that you guys did an incredible job recording your version of the episode okay yeah our version right and and some of us did not and who no. who who did not is up for debate yeah like if i'm a listener right now yeah. uh i'm wondering Wait, one flew of the cuckoo's nest. I know a few weeks ago I was told I would listen to you them. You were Let promised that episode. Feed. Yeah, they probably and ran then, right to the feed. Do you know how fervently people are checking the feed right now? Oh god! Right now, refresh, I don't think refresh, I've refresh. Heard them F5, talk about five, F five. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Why not? Obviously, Why this is I heard my that? mistake. I must be a stupid idiot who did something so I mess- stupid. Yeah, I messed up my feed because I can't see where it is. Here's what's important. Um, we all talked about one flew. That's that's a fact. Uh, and I think that we all had thoughts about it, and those thoughts were good. Not that yeah. the movie was necessarily good or bad, but the thoughts that we had were definitely good. Yeah, we think good thoughts. Right. And I think that's all. That's it. But, that's it, though. Uh, no, I'm getting I'm getting word. Actually, it did not go out. Oh, wait. Hold week. on. You're receiving word from the booth? They're, they're the, feeding words you? can to tell you? he is. Listen to his tone. You can tell he's, he's yeah. talking to us while he's hearing information. The, the board is in the booth. 
all 12 of them, and they are all talking in unison, saying the same thing, which is actually more disturbing yeah, than you think. fucked up. <laughs> and uh, Ryan, you fucked up. I did. The reason nobody has heard One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest is because of you, and uh, it is your first time recording a show, mm. <laughs> and so that's why it didn't happen. Uh, well, we've been doing anniversary shows that were, I think they're called A Decade of Excellence, a title, yeah. <laughs> a title I love, but that's declaring the previous decade. Was yeah. excellent. Not not the current yeah, this, one that we're in right now. This current decade's the decade of dog shit. Get used to a lot of audio typos and mess ups. We folks. did a solid ten years already. But I apologize to the listeners. I apologize to you two. Uh, I did not, and by you two, I mean obviously Bono and the Edge. I did not. <laughs> well, some of our biggest fans. I did not record uh, one flu, and so we don't have that show. We're moving on to shampoo. But I did want to know what you guys or the listeners want to know what you guys thought about the movie in general. Well, you also want to know because you weren't listening because you were just staring at your Seth not recording the whole time being like, is there something wrong there? I'll fix that later. I stared so much. You guys don't even know. <laughs> I had expected to hate it uh, because of like a shifting in perspective on my part, uh, but I found it very well made and very engrossing and very funny, but then still like, um, I guess, gender issues or the way things break for Nurse Ratchet just feels... So especially like in the context of like shampoo uh, or the other movies where women are like just constantly trying to like make men be functional even a little bit, it feels like classically she is given kind of short shrift in her in the the cultural reckoning of what her character is like. Yeah, I think a lot of it was in our first season we did American Beauty and we thought it would be this thing. We didn't think it would just be straight up awful. We thought yeah. it, it we thought it would be like how I thought of One Flew, which is a little weird, a little touchy. But ultimately, you can't deny the entertainment. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I thought American Beauty was going to be. That's not the case. But that you is can't deny the entertainment. Yeah, of that. yeah. But with it one flu, it's definitely there. Like the performances and the engagement. Like you just you you really are engaged, and it's not until you you stop to think about it and talk about it with two friends, whether you're recording or not. Until you realize <laughs> it's how still the, a valid moment. How the movie actually means to you. If, if yeah, it, it is lesser moment, than the sum of its parts. Yeah. If a There's moment's individual not things are great. Yeah. Was it a moment? <laughs> Does it exist? Did it fall? You know, uh, uh, Randall McMurphy is a lot worse than I remember, but Jack Nicholson is a lot better mm-hmm. than I remember. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I think if you separate it from the cultural context, it's a more enjoyable experience. But I do think that I'm going to keep my fucking mouth shut about it in the future because of Shawshank. You know, like, I think people love, love, love this movie. I do kind of think that the flaws aren't seen. People love loving this movie, and I'm just going to let them love it instead of going on my Shawshank tirade of like, well, here's why it's only a good movie. I've let people love things for too long, and I think I'm going, back to my older, I'm going back to my older ways of dying of fire if you like this thing I think isn't good. <laughs> I do think it also it, it created a lot of the filmic language around mental institutions and created mm, sort of... For better or worse. Yeah, it kind of helped to create you know uh like girl interrupted or even like that fx show um legion like it it hit so many of the notes that were first established by one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah well that is a uh couple minute version of what you could have heard sorry also brendan fraser got put in the hall of fame oh yeah yeah that's a good thing you pointed that out brendan fraser made it in good for you bud I'm just giving Greg a couple points right now because he recorded a few points for the Gregster. He knows how to record. 
So I hate when Mike squeezes off anything. <laughs> I, I, just, I love it. I just love squeezing it off. Oh, oh the crowd does not. The crowd does not. I'm sorry, no. crowd. I'll stop oh. squeezing everything off. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then actually talk about and actually record shampoo. Directed by Harold and Maud's Hal Ashby and written by the Yakuza's Robert Town and Bullworth's Warden Beatty, Shampoo follows a day in the life of Lothario hairdresser George as he tries to juggle his ladies and open his own salon on the eve of Nixon's election. The creators have stated the movie has nothing to do with the presidential politics but is a satire of sexual and social politics of the time. Taste buds, I ask you this. It may be a while before we get a chance to do another Warren Beatty movie, at least until we do 1999, ni- <clears throat> 1990s Dick Tracy, how does he do it owning the movie? Is this the understated star slash legendary stickman we've heard about all our lives? I mean, I, I mean, we do have to talk about the fact that George is based on a bevy of people, but one of them is Warren Beatty, and that is what drove the box office. People wanted to see mm-hmm. what a day in his life as a legendary stickman was like. Like so, because the he right. almost for most of the movie, it's almost like he has a head injury or he's hard of hearing. I know he's using this as like a strategy, but for so much of the movie, it just seems like, does this guy understand what's going on? Like what is going on behind the scenes there? Greg, I think the head injury is great. And the idea about the hearing, that's great. And Mike, you're hosting. It's great. I think that everyone's doing great. Come on, babe. You're doing great. You're doing great. Great. You're just, it's, it's everything. I like great. how Goldion's like, what is great about me? And he's like, yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I did not sign on to continue my thoughts after I said the word great. That's just th- there's be a lot placated. of, there's a lot of moments of the glass shattering for her of her picture of George, but that feels like the biggest one. And I think in a lot of ways, she is the main character in her in world realization. But uh, George. She arcs. Uh, yeah. And, really comes to find out all the things that we knew from seriously second one of Bonnie and Clyde five years before this. But uh, it's a really understated performance. Right. I think that it's really, I don't want to say impressive, but it's to be talked about that he did not have a character that goes all out, that has a lot of four-year consideration in it. He really is laid back. And the thing that I always go to, and this is the case with a lot of handsome guys who maybe aren't that bright, is it always reminds me of... And we're going back to the first episode of Movie of the Year ever. It always reminds me of uh, Edward Norton thinking about Brad Pitt being dragged around by Helena Bonham Carter. Right? And like Mm -hmm. they're in the apartment and he sees the dildo. But really, he's just dancing and grooving the entire time and Uh just is like really sort of not in control of his story. He just has a... He's just dancing to a beat and he just moves through life. See, I don't, I don't see George as that way, really. I see George as, instead of like the dancing through life and never stops moving because he's enjoying life so much, it seems like he can't stop. That like right. he fears yeah. quietude. He fears stillness. And that's why like Goldie Hawn has, or Jill, because it's not really Goldie Hawn. She's playing a part. I Although Goldie Hawn and Julie Christie were both ex-Warren Beatty girlfriends. Well, Is that true? That not true. ex. Julie Christie and him were like, fizzling during this and Goldie Hawn and him were sleeping together started during this Warren Beatty ladies and gentlemen it's it's crazy because everything you read they're like well it's based on several hairdressers known throughout Hollywood and they're like Ryan you said it's it's obvious what did he know that it's based on him because he feels like he really wants to separate George and Warren no I do think that this is his sort of come to God moment like uh, as far as what it reminds me of honestly is Cheers 
it reminds me of all the things that Sam Malone went through. And but I think that you're right, Greg, in that if I stop, you know, Goldie Hawn straight up says, You're you're always moving, but you're never going anywhere. Yeah. And if, if he stops, he will be self reflective. And that would be right. the most fucking dangerous for a guy who is always looking in the mirror. He, that like <laughs> to do that would be so dangerous to his health. Because you know what movie I really thought of a lot with this one was Uncut Gems. Like this is yeah. so much Howard from Uncut right. Gems. Just like you know, the second you leave one thing, you go right to the next thing, and then you're wrapped up in that. And like the salon scenes reminded me, especially of Uncut Gems, where it's just like eight people trying to talk to him at the same time, and he's just like shampoo this person and get out of my way. And uh, and it's like he's he on one hand is like you could view him as so free and having so much because he gets to have sex with like eight different women over the course of this movie. But what a miserable existence because he just is bouncing from one thing to the next perpetually and constantly right. in trouble and barely getting out of it and getting out of it by getting into a different type of trouble. I mean, the other- just, it all seems exhausting. Yeah, where where Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems is the tension and like the deal making. His is sex. I don't think this guy likes sex. I think he knows- if he goes to substance, I don't think he likes time, anything. Yeah, if he goes to substance, he's like, "Well, I'll have a problem," but everybody's fine with fucking. Like that's, that's his th- outlet. Yeah, uncut jams ju- and shampoo should be put in the genre of what Requiem for a Dream. Like they are addict movies, and they mm, are yeah, for sure. they are the you know the addictions are different, and the addictions right. are legal for them, right. but they're absolutely addicts who, in like every time they think about kicking their thing they instead just do the thing again get that little get off a little bit on whatever it is and then keep moving so maybe that's a better view of his like um sort of cluelessness because it, it it's not really cluelessness it's he doesn't want to think about what he's Greg. doing because it's kind of a nightmare i mean when he so like he will sometimes say i love women but it's like bro you don't love women like you don't even like women when you start talking about a woman for more than a couple seconds you either don't know what to say or you start like kind of bad mouthing them well, or just trying to draw them into really compromising situations it's it's uh, i think in a, another amazing part about this movie that the 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 fact that he works in a hair salon he's like this uh incredible artist as far as hair goes I think is an amazing part because he could have been a New York gambler or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact that hair doers have to treat them like it's a factory, get them in, get them out, let's go. Yeah. You know, sort of they're just heads. They're just heads yeah. sort of like r- like ripples throughout the rest of his entire life. And then that kind of comes full circle, him just calling them heads all the time when he's doing that one woman's Oh, man. And he's just like rubbing his crotch on her. Or I guess he's rubbing her head on his crotch. Put your head right in D's. Yeah. She's like, D's what? And he says, D's nuts. Now, so we seem to think George is not a himbo, but what's the movie stance on the himbo limbo? I think, that- I think it's it's more like he's one type of exploitative man because really it's easy to focus on George, but that's a, the, the focus is also should be on Lester. It should mm-hmm. also be on Johnny Pope because these are different types of man who are all trying to basically do the same thing, right. which is use whatever advantage they have to just kind of like wear down and sort of trap women <laughs> and, into their lifestyle. And I think that's, that's such where... a good point. Sorry, Ryan. No, go ahead. Uh, it's a good point because and all of them judge the other ones. Yes. Yes. Where, where yeah. Johnny Johnny Pope is the, the 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 biggest where he's just like sneers at George and Lester like, look at what they're doing while he's trying to fuck this actress while who's he's trying to audition exactly. for his <laughs> And yeah, I, Mike, his, I'm trying like, not to judge like, Johnny Pope, but 
to have the mustache and the tinted glasses at the same yeah. time. What are at we doing night? here? Yeah. And that's why, like, there's a... Lester is the most traditional dude to roll your eyes at and hate. But there's right. also, like, what what Pops from Dirty Work brings to Lester <laughs> is, like, this authenticity even though he's a lying dirtbag there's an authenticity and he like that's why he ends up liking george where he's not judging like he judges george when he thinks he's gay but when he sees what george is he's like dudes are gonna dude right like and you're like i don't i don't, I don't like it but it was interesting to have that charming angle he brought to it and that's the I thing that like, like how ashby i think is doing is that we want the we want the the character who's going to going to go and fight against the the man or mm-hmm. you know like we want somebody to like punch up and give comeuppance and hal ashby who was uh if you take all of the characters all the actors all of the crew the most hippie person that is right. on the set he is like i'm not going to give you that i'm going to have george realize not that he's the best but he is equally bad to all of mm-hmm. these people and i think well i mean lester says to george like i know your counterculture <laughs> and george is like no i'm not because that's like too much of being anything. He's right. Not, he's not committed. To I won't even be counterculture. No, I got. And he like he, he can't say what he is committed to because really all he is committed to is his appetites. Is him? Yeah. It, it, I got real Don Draper <clears throat> when Draper is trying to hang out with the hippies. Like, yeah, he's he wants to put on different hats, but he can't help from judge everybody. He can't George not is just judge. Better. George is better at hiding the judgment off his face than Don is, but it's the same kind of guy as I'm empty, but I will call out all of these other people I'm going to call empty around me. And when Lester is uh, about to get in the jacuzzi with the hippies, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like he's got this face. He's got this face, the same face that George does. And you don't even realize that George has this face the entire movie until you see Lester. And he's like, I do not like you. I want to be liked by you. And that is yeah. ultimately our like it's our propulsion and our destruction is that uh all of these people want to be cool and that need to be cool is what makes them not cool and that includes george and i think the movie wears that on its front they all just want to be liked by people that they themselves don't like they want to be pursued by people that they don't really want to be with they're all and that's don draper as fuck yeah for sure they're all looking to like the next place to jump and meanwhile you know no one's looking at what they already have which is why I think uh, Jackie leaves with Lester because George is like, no, I'm going to make it work this time. But that is, hey, baby, this, this this time I'll stay clean. Like that is like, it's so clear. I he don't, didn't actually have a reason to learn. He just suddenly decided in that moment. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think what, you can change without a rock bottom. I don't care what you think about Beatty's performance or George's face or anything about that last speech where he proposes to Julie Christie fuck you dude like (laughs) get the fuck out of here and the movie was teaching us like we're rooting for george but there's no way that george can win in the end like he is as awful like we're all it's just this cycle of egomaniacal terrible that we're all in that's why i think it's important that we see him in a day and a half of his life Uh because nobody changes in a day and a half and especially not somebody like this and i mean we know that you know both Warren Beatty and uh, the guy that this was like one of the people this was based on both go on to then like just have Hollywood careers where I'm sure they never once slow down or Mm -hmm. stop or consider anybody else's emotions like it's it would be so hard to believe that you could have George settled anywhere like is there a reality where he gets the bank loan and he marries the girl and he just has the hair salon where he has six guys cutting under him that's that's a pipe dream it's not it's nothing he'll ever really do that's what's interesting about the Beatty 
cheapness of it is Beatty does do that at a certain point where he gets with Diane Keaton and does stop making so many movies. And maybe maybe he was a dog the whole time and like cheated on her, but like as far as we all know, he was just like, Oh, I'm done. And I think he's only made something like twenty three movies his whole career. Like it is a small number. His his average of how many awards he gets to how many movies he's in is insane. Yeah, and I don't think that we as a not just as a podcast, but like as a film society, realize the impact that Warren Beatty has had on the history of film. It's kind of mm-hmm. crazy. Uh you know, to like to be in Bonnie and Clyde and then to make this movie and then to go on and make Reds and just sort of like fight for and Bullwork. And Bullworth. And, and like he had that part in Truth or Dare. Of course, because he was <laughs> dating Madonna from Dick Tracy. But like the the actor's auteur, you know, like this this yeah. movie was directed by Hal Ashby, but in the biggest quotes possible. Because mm-hmm. he was working with Warren Beatty. And Warren Beatty, like uh, an actor like no other. I, I should also say, I saw Warren Beatty uh, in person like six years ago. Or Hold something. on. You should yeah. have disclosed that before we started this podcast. You get a and, point just for that, Greg. And he he's an older gentleman at this point. He has an, like a golden aura around mm-hmm. him. We just barely walked past him. I mean, like he, he, he didn't even like lay eyes on us. My wife and I just happened to pass him. But like his presence just on a London street was like profound. So I believe that at the height of his powers, he probably could have had, you know, any woman that he set his sights on. Dude, I, I also, have, we have to give it up at some point in this show to uh, Annette Benning, who um, I would say was, is an even bigger person than Amal Clooney in that, no, 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 I got this. And then just did it, like handled it. <laughs> like this stick man is off the market. And he was like, yeah, no, I love Annette Benning. Who knew? Well, Annette Benning. What did I say? Diane Keaton? Different woman. Different older woman. Yeah, oh, that's what... Uh, okay, we should have interrupted, right, Greg? <laughs> yeah, you really should have interrupted. Well, there's so much I don't know right. that yeah. I'm just like... You know cool. he dated Diane Keaton. So, uh-huh. just like, yeah, oh, all right. uh, yeah, no, I, I flipped the script there. And I've never heard stick man. So it's good. That just means dick man. Stick man Fuck is boy. how Michael Rappaport, I want to say, uh, talked about... Uh, who's the old coach from Rocky? Meredith Burgess? Meredith Burgess, a legendary stick man. Apparently, oh, yeah, dude. he fucked just, everything that moved. Well, that's the kind of power Brisk gives you. Just nonstop <laughs> rock hard claymation dick. Based we on people I know named Meredith, yeah. A break. And when we come back, we talk about babies. Mount Rushmore. As we all know, Mount Rushmore is dedicated to the four biggest stick men of the U.S. <laughs> presidents. <laughs> in our history that is not what we're doing today we're gonna do the four biggest stick babies hey nope, Mike, this has nothing to do with being stick Mike, come on mike wh- who do you think of the three of us is the most legendary stick man mike mike's the biggest slut <laughs> i thought yeah. thank you. i thought we should talk about that for a little bit yeah definitely mike was a, a major fuck boy mike did, did this movie at all show your receipts did this movie at all <laughs> point out to you that it's actually kind of bad to just fuck a bunch of women Oh, yeah, but I think... No, my own it life... pointed out that it was bad to get married. Like, what were you doing, Mike? I think my own life pointed that out to me long before I watched <laughs> Shampoo. <laughs> and that's why you changed? Yeah. At a certain point, you go, oh, that's why I feel empty? <laughs> at, a, at a certain point, look in that mirror, George, and it'll help. So, I'm going to deal with that in therapy later. <laughs> Several of these people, because they're born in '75, right? So this might be like there might be more than one baby child on this list. Yeah, all of mine are baby children. Ew. So we have 
1975 babies. That's right. The most famous people born in 75. Ryan, how would you define this mountain? Perfect. Uh, what is uh we're gonna make a mountain of people who shaped our shit. I think this is sort of like a, a spin-off of Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. know, like, is this oh. us specific? I thought so. Okay. Otherwise uh of like who was born then that um in seventy five that like sort of changed and shaped our lives. Oh, okay. Because there's it's it's a very different list. Well, uh, yes. If if it's like most iconic for people in the world versus just for us. Here's why I say that, Greg. Uh Mike is the judge. Mike gives points. I believe Dave, David Beckham was born in 1975. Yeah, that's like a perfect example. Not that's who I guess I'm going to cross off my list. Not going to work. <laughs> you know, like it, it. Mike doesn't care. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I just have to reorganize some of these, but I think it's basically the same list. Yeah. Just, just it's it's all about changing the argument. Delete David Beckham off my list. Probably one of the biggest stars of all time in the, in the world. The first person I wrote down of double points, if you say him. But. The person who locked down Posh Spice. Imagine. <sighs> well, I don't the know dream. what else he did. What did he do? Play basketball? He I don't care. Had an amazing He's famous body. for locking down Posh Spice and for being so handsome. Soccer he, players' bodies. They're, he bent it. They're stupid. Oh, he bent it. Oh, he bent it. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> Ryan, yeah. you should go on here. Uh, Mike, this was so hard for me, but we're in, as of this recording, Spider-Man, No Way Home? Is the biggest yes. trailer of all time. 355 million views. Crazy. Uh, it beat both Endgame trailers. Somebody else who was born in 1975 is Tobey Maguire. And oh. it is hard to talk about what an impact this person has had. We didn't have a lot of superhero uh, you know, like a representation on screen back when mm-hmm. Tobey Maguire was in Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man. Spider-Man 2 has been a movie of the year podcast. Tobey Maguire is still arguably the best Peter Parker, although I think that Tom Holland is in that argument, and I don't think anybody argues with about Andrew Garfield. Uh, I would like... I think that this movie is... Or this Rushmore is going to get laid to waste with females. And so let's put in the token male Tobey Good. Maguire. Good. Maybe Why I like we, that. like, yeah, respect some dudes and dong before we give it to the ladies? Uh, I think great arguments. Tobey Mac is on the maybe pile. Oh, now. my God. Okay, so Greg? if, as Ryan proposes, we are doing a more us-specific 1975, there I might a- be wrong, Mike. Am I wrong? I mean, who knows what I decide? Ah, dang. Yeah, there you I go. I was going to get a little free peek there. It was very sporting of you, Ryan, to ask that question in between our two <laughs> turns. Yeah. But I'm going, I, I am still, even though that is something that you totally made up, uh, I'm going to believe you instantly and then also follow <laughs> behind you. And I'm going to say that uh, Taika Waititi... Uh, is a pop- wait hold on greg mike's di- on mike's director team in the director draft exactly that taika waititi <laughs> in our own hall of fame uh very famously uh made out with two women very close to us and then got in a very at- george shampoo style made out but with see- two women who is in our on un- unrecorded hottest girls of all time draft that we do not <laughs> talk about on the podcast but see Whereas George got in trouble with the women and then kind of didn't care about his boss. Instead, Taika Waititi got in trouble with his boss, but also didn't care about that. That is still, for me, the the coolest moment is still that he got yelled at by Disney for doing that. But Taika Waititi, I mean, where would we be without our good friend Taika Waititi? We wouldn't have one head on this mountain, that's for goddamn sure. Boom, shakalaka. Ryan? Unbelievable. Okay. 
So unbelievable. Now I'm going to go to Mike's other instincts because Mike likes great acting. He does. Mike Mike likes where he's from. We don't like where Mike is from, but Mike does. And who did a Philly accent better than one Kate Winslet in Mayor of Easttown, who has basically taken the acting world by storm? I saw on a cover of a magazine that she has taken the acting world by storm. I would say one of our nation, and she's not even part of our nation's greatest actresses. No, actors. And is yet in the most talked about series that is not White Lotus of the Year, Mayor of Easttown. Um, and she plays Mayor. She plays Mayor, Mayor of Easttown. Between Titanic mayor. and now, uh, I would say that she is the most heralded, most awarded actress. She is sort of the Meryl Streep of her generation. I think that Kate Winslet has to be on this mountain. Not only because he did a God-smacking argument there, Ryan. Kate Winslet is on the mountain. Plus all the things you said. Though she doesn't have a Philly accent. She has a Delco accent. Get it right. Oh, my goodness. These people. Yeah. Wait, I already got the point, Mike? <laughs> yeah, you got that point. These fucking people, Greg. <laughs> I swear to God. I can't bring Greg. myself to feel any way about Philadelphia. No matter how you feel about Philly, you're just playing into their game. Unless you're just like, I don't know. Look, if you love us, we freak out. If you hate us, we're even happier. I have yeah. to say, I want I want one of those cheesesteaks. You know. They're so good. Uh, so I like you people more than Boston people. Does that help? Thank you. Yeah. Who does a better Philly accent than Kate Winslet? Well, how about someone who really does one? Bradley Cooper. He's Rocket Raccoon. He was in Silver Linings Playbook, a movie oh. that is still shown at the Philadelphia City Hall of Fame every Christmas because of how <laughs> <laughs> important it is to Philadelphia culture. Uh, also gave us... Uh, what was that movie that he was in where he was the guy who snorted uh, a bunch of heroin? The Hangover? A uh, Star is Born. <laughs> there you go. Lord, get another look at you. Uh, but mostly so, he's, he's you're Rocket so, Raccoon. You're so fucking ugly. You're, you're so, so fucking you're ugly. ugly. Man, I'm still kind of chapped he, that that fictional character said that in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. That's just like, that's so mean to say to your girlfriend. Why would you do that? Look at me. Uh, Bradley Cooper is on that maybe pile. Coops. Ryan. Oops, I cooped my pants. <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> Let's let Greg continue to come up with biography <laughs> titles. Uh, Mike, I want to talk about somebody who is not just beautiful on the outside, but beautiful on the inside. Pedro Pascal. <laughs> That's who I was going to say next. Somebody who is just like has gently touched all of our favorite franchises, whether it be The Fast and the Furious. Is it Mad Max? Is it somebody who can yeah. start her own franchise like Atomic Blonde? Uh, is it somebody who... Or uh, Old Guard can start one off and then right away can, pass it off to somebody else? <laughs> can we discuss Old Guard for a second? Uh, this lady has gone from like, oh, I'm a hot girl in the late 90s to one of the best actresses that we have. It's Charlize Theron. And she is a 1975 baby. Ryan. Yeah, she's right on this mountain. Her To do your career backwards is awesome. From like, hot girl, no, I want that Oscar... Cool. I'm gonna have fun and do whatever the fuck oh, I yeah. want from now on. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna learn how to fight, guys. She ran up to that uh, podium, said "yoink" to the Oscar, and then just started making dope ass movies. I just I watched, love this person. I just watched Prometheus again. Uh, I was watching all the Alien movies, and 
in a franchise full of really creepy people, aliens, and robots, she is the creepiest person in the entire <laughs> series, I swear. And that's kind of like the beginning of her being in like more broad action-y movies. It's awesome. Also, you know what movie I really like? Uh, Long Shot. Guys, get some Seth Rogen and Charlie. Oh, the Seth Rogen one? Yeah. yeah, I've heard that the stock on that is rising. It's really good. It's really good. And she's uh, amazing. You gotta like Seth it. Rogen. You gotta like Seth Rogen. He looks like if uh, all three of us combined into a Voltron. I'm in your phone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Gregory, your turn. All right. There's only one spot left on the mountain, may I remind okay. you, gentlemen? Let's not mess around anymore. Let's stop. Let's stop fucking around. around. What are all we right. doing? There is a a celebrity who's almost bigger than celebrity itself, and she is, is an amazing dynamo. Angelina Jolie. Are you referencing that the leg? From the Oscar leg. The Oscars three years ago? Yeah. A very timely <laughs> reference. But Angelina Jolie has done her own sort of like career progression and now she's in this really like austere almost like spooky phase where she plays mm-hmm. like very powerful angular women and she owns that as much as she ever did um you know the softer rounder young women and scares the freaking shit out of me in most of the movies she's in i think she's well, gonna be it, in eternals right yeah she, she is in the eternals Athena in eternals it just seems like she's finally playing the roles that she actually looks like she should play but she's like, got the cheap anytime she's like i'm a normal girl you're like okay <laughs> what i wish she would have a different line of dialogue every once in a while but that's fine all right angelina jolie is on the maybe pile oh because come we on one sub, so we gotta we gotta we gotta i think i think there's one clear I'm putting this out there there's one clear one that will lock this for me and there's one if you say it I will cackle and put so many points up your butt okay nice to hear that Ryan. right before your turn Ryan it's your turn oh uh Taika Waititi <laughs> Greg Greg gets that uh, no point. I'm out I'm out I'm, I don't have you're out oh, I yeah. got more I got I got I got, man should we just do should I just go for a while here Mike do, just uh, g- give me give me two. Okay, uh, here's one that's like less recently super big, but bigger for a longer period of time than anybody else on this list. Drew Barrymore was born in 75. Drew Barrymore has been a star since E.T. and continues to still be a star well into 51st dates, let's say. Uh, I don't think anybody has like the, the longevity she has. And then for the last one, Jason Sudeikis, America's oh. nice guy, Ted Lasso himself. Out All there right. representing America. Your would have gotten a buttload of points if you said Red Foo, one half of LMFAO. <laughs> Is that the uncle or the nephew? <laughs> Who oh, could say? I hope it's the uncle. <laughs> but I don't know why, but I hope it's the uncle. <laughs> Rushmore of 1975 is Taika Watiti, Kate Winslet, Charlize Theron, and Drew Barrymore. What the fuck? When we come back, more shampoo. Taste buds. After doing countless seasons of Movie of the Year, something we've learned is that American movies are scared poopless of sex, even in the 70s. Does shampoo finally break this tradition, or does it show that sex, cheating, and emotional entanglement are pretty flat and lifeless? Yeah, it is. So is that the whole point? (laughs) Sorry about that. It in no way breaks the tradition of that. It hardly shows any sex. None of the sex is staged in an interesting way at all it is all it feels like so much of it feels like lifeless bodies going through them it's like zombies or something going through the motions at the end of everything this it's funny to think of this movie isn't it uh boogie nights that like 
has the 70s to the 80s that's like the beginning of the apocalypse this movie has like the the end like once upon a time of hollywood it's the 60s to the 70s crossover mm-hmm. seems to be like the apocalyptic period and so everything everyone's doing here is just joyless lifeless and like punitive almost uh much like sex is in real life greg let's no, be honest it rules. it's so fun it's you and your best friend just having fun no you're just, just having to like do it. 30 seconds of fun and then you get to nap <laughs> Finally, sweet, sweet nap. I think that the sex is not great in this movie, but the sex talk is good in this movie. And I I think... Good how, though. To, Wait, sorry to interrupt. Good how. No, I always point, interrupt. I have to point to, uh, I want to suck his cock. And yeah. Ju- Julie Christie at that dinner scene, I think that was right. roughly as crazy as a train coming to this towards the screen and people running out of the theaters. <laughs> I think that was such a weird moment for American movies. It's it, unexpected. Now, of course, European movies had done this in the 30s. Her so saying it's no, it no is unexpected. And then your brain is still wrapping around what she said, and you're reacting like the old guy. And then she starts to try to do it. And you're like, uh, wait, is she trying to do the thing she just said she wanted to do? When somebody says, make sure I don't drink too much, and then like downs four drinks in a row, I think you have to like pick that person up and put them in a cab. Like, that person needs to leave the party right away. Yeah, and especially once they start saying, this is your fault. That's not fair, guys. <laughs> oh. Is that something that people say around you a lot, Mike? <laughs> yep. Weird. But it's, um, the way sex is in this movie is, is almost like, it feels like an obligation. Like, everybody yes. does it with everybody mm-hmm. else out of this weird sense of, like, well, this is freedom, right. I guess. <laughs> but no, but, like, I think that's sort of the point, and I do think that the build-up to sex is what they're saying is the interesting part. Like, Mm -hmm. who's going to have sex with who is the interesting part? And then sex is just sex. Right. Yeah, but sex rules. But sex is just sex, except for that they still all get jealous. Is it not about sex? Is that about the power then? As Janome Monet saying? Yeah, it's ownership. Sex is like the ultimate ownership of everybody. And it's almost like you have to check everybody off your box. And And everyone, everyone is aware that like, everyone else is having sex with everybody else. And it's making them all so sad constantly. Yeah, but I think instead of saying that like this is this is sex through an American lens, I think this is sex, but like this is how Americans view sex, which seems like this thing I just said. But I think that what they're saying is that the buildup is crazy, the sex is whatever, but it's not like we try to be it back back then. They tried to all be European about it, but it's not like try to be like, well, you know, we all fuck everyone and it's fine, and it's not. It's like, but even it's really hard aren't. to watch. Even Europeans aren't European about it, right? That's right. like a myth. Like the uh, the unfortunate reality is that right. like the free love of atmosphere is tough to maintain because people do get hurt by it. And if you really want to like live in that lifestyle, you have to be committed to it in a way that takes a lot of emotional work, not mm-hmm. just freedom. You know, like being but polyamorous think- is not like a actually that freeing. You have there's like a lot of emotional, a lot of upkeep. barriers and structures yeah. and contracts and, and discussions, yeah. which it, more people should have, you know, conversations about their emotions. But also it's interesting about the free love movement is uh, how much it was just a different version of normal dude bullshit. Yeah. And all those hippie. Yes. Comments, they're and like, so, free love for smart. me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm not saying that Goldie Hawn throwing that chair through the window is the cinematic equivalent of Mookie throwing the trash can through the window and do the right thing. But I do sort of think it, it had this thing of fuck this, dude. Like, it fuck this free love bullshit. Yeah, like, I, you know what? I try to be cool and I'm not. And I thought Goldie Hawn knew about the cheating the entire movie. Well, it's everybody. Right. See, that's what's going on in this movie, though. That's an interesting point, Ryan. Everybody knows, but they won't admit that they know. <laughs> 
And that's the thing. Like, you can see in every conversation, people mm-hmm. are like, okay, obviously my girlfriend is fucking this guy. But if I can keep myself from fully realizing that, it won't be a disaster. And so everybody and is f- constantly but- trying to stay away from their own understanding. Han is the best at, Jill is the best at, I don't know if she knows or not. I guess she's the best at like li- really living that lie. I think when she cracks is as they all kind of do is actually sing it. But it's like I expect this from George. But Jackie, you're my best friend. You right. too. That doesn't matter. And Goldie would have been best to just go home and masturbate and just do a Han solo. <laughs> I I think that this movie does an incredible job of pointing out that yeah, like we are all fucking everyone. So we aren't hurt by the fact that everyone is fucking everyone. You know, like we they're all hurt all the time. Like Felicia, when she realizes who Jackie is at the party, Lester, Lester is fucking Jackie. Jackie is George's best friend. It's a very incestuous group of people of different tax brackets. Uh, And I do think that they're making the point that L.A. in general is incestuous. Like Mm -hmm. this is not a specific group, right? Like it's everyone in Los Angeles. But Felicia gets so upset to realize that Lester's fling is there when she invited her fling there. So it's yeah. it's yeah. they're all hypocrites. And is it is that the movie's message? Is it trying to say nobody uses sex correctly? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, think this. They all have a disordered relationship with it. They're all trying to get something different. They're trying to use it to get ahead economically, or they're using it to get ahead socially, or they're using it to get ahead <laughs> politically, or as an addiction, or as just like a, a, a like a scoring device. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what sex is for. One of the most important lines besides uh, Warren Beatty's breakdown in front of Goldie Hawn is Warren Beatty's telling Julie Christie, at least I don't do it for money. You know, he's saying, yeah. I only do it for fun, which is bullshit on both counts. Yes. You know, like... He is giving Julie Christie unwarranted shit and giving himself unwarranted because he absolutely does it trophies for and he yeah. absolutely does not do it for fun because nobody is having any fun in this movie at all. Yeah, is he actually a great hairdresser or is he a great lay? He's That's a, gigolo, a really good question. I don't know if he does hair good. No, well, you don't he really seems see like he never finishes a job. Yeah, yeah, you don't really see him do it. I mean, it, well, I guess he does Jackie's hair. And then they a start fucking bit. in the steam room, but like he changes her hair completely, and it does look really good there. And but that's Jackie like the looked like say it. Jackie looked like trash before he like that wig she was wearing was insane. Like that was such that was so bad before uh, Warren Beatty got a hold of it. And he never talks about like why he does hair or Mm-mm. like it obviously doesn't mean anything to him. It's the same thing kind of as sex. Like it, it then they make that connection a lot. But like but there, there's the other thing too of like Jack Warden is upset that his wife is cheating on him, but not as much as it is that his mistress is cheating on yeah. him. Yeah. And then once he learns that the 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 mistress is cheating on somebody, oh, she's not cheating because he's gay, like that like appeases him somehow. It's all these like sexual politics. Greg, yeah, yeah. the country wife, have you should we talk about the country wife? What is the country wife? Country wife is a like a play from like the sixteen hundreds that this is sort of based on. And it's just about a guy who says, Hey, uh, I'm impotent. So you uh, all of your guys' relationships, could I just hang out with all your wives? And they're <laughs> like, well, if you're impotent, sure. And uh, Beatty in town saw this play, and they were like, oh, this is a movie. And this is it. Right. It's like, oh, if he's a hairdresser, then mm-hmm. he must be, quote unquote, impotent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting almost that is. they only deal with it in one scene. That it, the rest of the time is just... And this is when Beatty ass- acts Faye. Assumed. Well, I guess so, two scenes. So Beatty acts... Faye, but also Lester 
asks, he's like, he says, he is he a fairy? And she's like, what? And he's thinking business. And he's like, well, you can see different things. The businessman and the guy who is jealous of another dude fucking. And he's uh-huh. like, well, I want him to be straight because in my head, a straight man is good at business and reliable. And like trustworthy. But if he's gay... That does mean he won't fuck you, but it does mean I don't know if I can trust him business wise. And all of it is so convoluted and wrong headed. <laughs> and you're like, what? And, and just white, white sim- man logic. He has a similar conversation um, with Carrie Fisher, right? Uh, yeah. But, okay. You know, so I guess it's more than one scene. <laughs> yeah. Because I think there is that, there's that assumption, right? Like, you know, is it, are you around all these women because you want to sleep with them or are you around them because you specifically don't want to sleep with them? Right. And this is a way in which, like, masculinity and heteronormativity is, like, so programmed into us that people are constantly, like, managing whether, you know, who's gay, who's straight, what are they up to? And all, what we're talking about right now is the scene with the bank loan guy of, like, Mm-hmm. give me a bank loan because I'm a star. I'm an absolute star. Going back to Boogie Nights, like, this guy is Dirk Diggler. Yeah, I'm a star. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he even looks like Dirk Diggler. Look, look and, at the heads I get. <laughs> uh, and then is denied, and he knows why he's denied, but still won't stop acting as, quote-unquote, punk rock as he mm-hmm. is. Like, I'm still going to be myself. And this is the same bank that had just denied the Human Torch a bank. <laughs> just to put it into perspective. <laughs> He, That's actually like, every day in the 70s, Greg. <laughs> what he should have done is say, I have some money on the top of my fridge. I would like to put more money in the jar on the top of my fridge. Bank, that's where you come in. I'm so glad that you guys both watched one 90s movie and <laughs> quote it constantly. <laughs> Good burn. That is all the time we have to talk about sex and sexuality. Woo! We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more shampoo. Trivia. That is correct, young little robot. It is time for trivia. Taste buds, you know these rules. The rules are easy, but the game is hard. I will give you a trivia question. You will wait till I'm done and ring in with your name. You get it right, you get a point. You get it wrong, person gets a chance to steal. If you get it wrong again, back and forth, until I get bored and say, no, nobody gets a chance to answer that question. (laughs) And then the whole segment just slows down. Slows down, and everybody's like, what's going on now? So, let's kick it off. Question the first. Why did Julie Christie, who plays Jackie, join the film even though she didn't like the role? Ryan. Greg. Ryan? She was Warren Beatty's girlfriend? Ryan. Correct. She said, as an avowed feminist, I do not like this role, but Warren, we're together. I guess I'll do it. And then he fucked Goldie Hawn. (laughs) (laughs) Question the second. Whose film debut was this? Ryan. Ryan. Uh, This was, of course... Um, All right, don't do IMDb scrolling voice, Ryan. I can see that you're not, but the audience can't. Uh, This was uh, the uh, Tinted Lens Mustache Guys film debut. Okay, nope. Greg, you can steal. Greg, Goldie Hawn? No. That is all the chances you get. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher's first Oh, yeah, of course. That makes sense. She's like 18. 17. The character was 17. Gross. (laughs) What movie did young Mike used to confuse shampoo with? Ryan. Greg. Greg. Hair. No, but that's a good... Is there, you think, any connection there? Because hair is like the other big hippie movie. Uh, he when he first came up with the idea, Warren Beatty wanted to call it hair, and then somebody whispered in his ear and There's went, "Something oh, called never that. mind." <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, do you want to steal? Yeah, hairspray. 
No, soap dish. Okay, that makes sense. What's the weirdest part of that film confusion? Greg. Ryan. Greg. They're not really that similar. I mean, that is, <laughs> that's the surface. There has to be something a little weirder than that. They're not, they're not similar at all. But. <laughs> Sorry. I'm very pleased with myself. Continue <laughs> the podcast fine. without me. <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. Uh, Sally Field has seen both films. <laughs> I'm sure she has, but it's Carrie Fisher is in both. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Name one movie Carrie Fisher script doctored. Ryan. Ryan? Uh, Postcards from the Edge. No, she just wrote that. That's pretty, it's a pretty good doctor. That's, that's not no, doctor. She did a really good job. I'll give a hint. It was referenced at some point recently in the show. Greg. Greg. Soap dish. No. No, that's a good call. <laughs> uh, we could do a back and forth ride. Do another guess. Uh, I will say um, Spaceballs. Harry, when Harry met Sally. Nope. All right. We'll stop. Uh, the one I was thinking of that we just referenced was The Wedding Singer. Really? She was script doctor. <laughs> she also script doctored Sister Act, Last Action Hero, Anastasia, Lethal Weapon 3, Hook, and so many more. Did you say Sister Action Hero? Sister Action Hero. The last Sister Action Hero. Who is Goldie Hawn's non-Kate Hudson kid? Ryan. Ryan? Chuck Russell. Wyatt Russell. Wyatt Russell, attorney <laughs> at law. It is why the Russell fake Captain America. Bitch. It's the fake Captain America. The guy from America. Lodge Forty Nine. <clears throat> it is Dud. indeed. Dud. Name another Goldie Hawn Horn Beatty movie. Ryan. Ryan. Uh, I am going to say you can't just say your name if you don't know the answer. It's so much pressure. But what if you figure name it one out after you say three, your name? two, Bullworth. one? Nope. Greg. Greg. Uh, Bugsy. Just bugs. It's dollar sign or town and country. Number eight. My name isn't fucking Warren. Name that movie. Ryan. Ryan. Empire Records. Correct. What's better, shampoo or conditioner? Greg. Greg. Shampoo, because otherwise your hair is going to be dirty. It doesn't matter if it's soft and lustrous if it's dirty. Ryan. Correct. Ryan. Right. Conditioner keeps the hair silky and smooth. I mean, that is a good point there, too. But it'll be dirty. It'll be smooth, but like dirty, dirty and oily. Now Greg will get the point. Why was Paul Simon's song cut from the credits? Ryan. Ryan? Uh, they wanted the Beach Boys instead. No. Greg. Greg. Because the record company wouldn't release it? No, he wrote it specifically for this. Beatty thought it made his character sound too vain. <laughs> Question 11. Wait, hold on. What's Isn't there a, a song called You're So Vain? Question 11. What's funny about Beatty cutting a song about himself being so vain? Brian. Greg. Because there's that song about that song, You're So Vain, and it's about him. Yes, that's Ryan. Greg. Ryan. By Carly Simon. (laughs) That's true. It is. Who has the last name of Paul Simon? (laughs) Very. It's all connected. What's the weirdest thing that's been used for hair care? Ryan. Greg. Ryan. Jism. No. Greg. Greg. Manure, like animal scat. Ew, I hope not. What I got is dead lizards boiled in olive oil as conditioner. I think my I think scat's worse than that. I think jism is worse than that. Ba, 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 ba. How often should you shampoo your hair? Ryan. Greg? Twice a week. Don't overdo it. I like that. Twice a week. Okay. Ryan, do you have a different opinion? Literally every day, keep the follicles open and alive. Greg. Nope. Greg is closer to what I believe. So. <laughs> you guys are both stinky Three or four times. What 90s cartoon does Beatty want to, still to this day, want to produce, direct, and star in a live-in-action remake of? Greg. Ryan. 
Greg. The Animaniacs. <laughs> no, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan? Ryan. Uh, Rugrats. No. Greg? Um, uh, Bat- Batman Beyond. Nope, that'd be dope, too. God, that would Ryan? be cool, wouldn't it? He's old Bruce Wayne? Yeah. Oh, fuck, I can see it. Warren Beatty is Doug. In Doug. <laughs> it's Pokemon because his grandkids like it. <laughs> Warren Beatty, man. True or false? Mike saw Empire Records before even knowing who Warren Beatty was. Greg. Uh, Ryan. Greg. True. Very true. I didn't get the joke in that movie for a long time. <laughs> 16. What DC superhero was Beatty the in- visual inspiration for? Ryan. Ryan? Uh, the Joker. No, Joker's... No. <laughs> Greg. Greg? DC superhero that he's the inspiration for? Batman, Bruce Wayne. No, both of those exist long before <laughs> Vader. It is Green Lantern, Charlie Vicker, which was a convoluted... He played Green Lantern on the TV show, Green Lantern, and then aliens thought they was the real Green Lantern, and later he became a real Green Lantern in the Green Lantern Corps. I'm How sorry, Mike. Did you say... Super- were we supposed to know that, Mike? <laughs> Give me a break. Did you say superhero? you were comic nerds. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then I was going to say Charlie Vicker. I, I take back the Joker thing. <laughs> I, I thought you say- were talking about how in Batman Beyond, they based Bruce Wayne off of Warren Beatty. Oh, okay. I, I see the confusion there. Who's the best Green Lantern and why? Ryan. Greg. Ryan. Kyle Rayner, because he's an artist. <laughs> Greg? I was going to say Greg, because... I was going to say Greg. I was going to say, 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 say Hal Jordan, because he's like the most... He's the one that went bad, obviously, but that's the most interesting thing that's ever happened in a Green Lantern comic, was when Hal Jordan went totally nuts. Uh, Kyle Rayner was an artist, bro. He's a freelance artist, Ryan. Okay? Yeah. He wasn't just an artist. So he's trying to figure out how to pay the bills. <laughs> Greg wins that. What? What's the most memorable Warren Beatty poster? Ryan. Ryan? Dick Tracy. Uh, every poster that Warren Beatty has, by the way, is Dick Tracy because I trace my dick on every poster that he's ever had. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Greg, do you have a better um, guess? I'm going to say that Bugsy Malone movie he was in. It's I called know. Bugsy. Fuck. I know, but when I said that earlier, he made fun of me, and so I thought I got it wrong. It's not that. Oh, Bullworth. Oh, is oh it, uh, it's Bullworth. It's Warren Beatty crawling out of his own mouth. That's uh, It's obviously Bullworth. But he already answered for himself. Oh. No, but then I answered again, and then I got it right. Yeah, I wonder if you're getting the points right now. Hmm. Okay, how about, what? I, how about I wrap all the rest of my answers Warren Beatty style? <laughs> what connects Empire Records and one of Mike's other favorite movies, Days and Confused? Ryan. Ryan? Uh, the timeline. It's all like 24 hours. Uh, that's... Man, uh, not the official answer, but you're going to point for that because that's also true. Ryan. So, Greg, there is a chance for another point. Okay, so what are the two movies again? Empire Records, yes. Dazed and Confused. They both have Liv Tyler. Is Liv Tyler and Dazed and Confused? No, it is that, though. It's actor Rory Cochran. He is Lucas in Empire Records and long-haired stony kid in Dazed and Confused. If I get a uh, bumper sticker that says, like, live free, live proud, live Tyler, would you guys buy one of those? <laughs> I would. I would. Oh yeah. my gosh, I would for sure. That is all the time we have for trivia. We're going to take a quick break and then spend more than 30 seconds on a question about shampoo. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. 
Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way, we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Taste buds! Shampoo is often called a satire and even a comedy. What is it satirizing? Has time erased its laughs? And if not, where has that laughter come from? I think what it's satirizing is the way the hippie era led directly into the Nixonian era. I mean, that's, yeah, I think you said earlier that they like denied that setting this on the night Nixon or the couple days where Nixon actually got elected, that they didn't have anything to do with anything. The movie, mm-hmm. between when the movie came out, and when it is set is entirely the Nixonian era in America. And the idea that that is something that grows out of the same America that was like supposed to be practicing free love and, and the, the hippie counterculture movement is such an indictment of the, of the system, the way in which it just like makes its own revolution and then sort of absorbs it back into Great. the mainstream. And what do you think you're actually doing by like going on and like changing your Facebook icon to be a cartoon or to be like, uh, be woke or be unwoke or like what do you think you're actually doing you're not doing anything there's one important like major point of this movie that I want to bring up um, this is the night that uh, Nixon was elected and mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. nobody votes <laughs> we have to talk about that right. but like the fact that like you're doing you're doing so little that you're not even doing the little that you can you know and okay that's what you're connecting to the Facebook thing I was trying to no, what the but hell like, you're saying? It, but it's also like I, I think that it is Hal Ashby saying, "Hey, hippies! Hey, people that like think that they're like activists or whatever. You're not doing shit. You're not doing shit." And this is the story of somebody realizing that my terrible, pathetic life has led to nothing. There's a there's an extra little layer to the political part of it, which is that right. when they go to the bar that has where they're having the big Nixon, that's like where the kickoff is for the Nixon thing. Mm-hmm. There's a huge picture picture of Nixon, which we know in the intervening years, like the ignominy he'd bring to the country. But later in that same scene, in the background, you see a picture of Ronnie Reagan, <laughs> and they don't even know in '75 all the shit he's gonna fuck up once he. Gets oh man, in there. he did some damage. Am I <laughs> right, guys? Am I right? In? The other thing too is the country in bad shape. He did, he did. When they're at the bar, they have to be evacuated, and at no point Uh is anybody like, "What? What happened?" They're just like, "Oh no, we just." Felicia like snorts and laughs as they leave. (laughs) Nobody gives a shit at all. They all had to leave the bar, and they're like, "Well, Los Angeles, am I right?" Nobody asks why was it a bomb threat. You know, like a couple seasons ago, we watched Brazil, and they would have actual bombs Bombings. go off. (laughs) While they were like in the mall or like at a diner, this happens in this movie and nobody questions it at all. Because it's a movie about people distracting themselves from the reality, right? When they show Lester mm-hmm. driving around, he, the, the like radio Correct. show he listens to is just like the stock ticker. And there's a part where he's driving and it switches and starts talking about like, 
the president of South Vietnam today announced. And Lester changes the channel really quick, right back to like just you know Folgers closed three and a half right. points mm-hmm. up, like that because my life business is the way that he doesn't right. pay attention to the fall of everything around him in the same way that sex is for George. And we already talked about this, but like the last conversation between Lester and George is so important. Just this like. We think that we're coming together and we think that we're solving problems. And this movie and these people have not solved shit. They have not solved yeah. the sexual problems, right. the cultural problems, or Their the interior world. problems. Nobody yeah. has addressed the fact that they're stark raving mad. Like but, everybody is so crazy in this movie and no one addresses that in the least. But they think they have. Mm. They think that they have done this thing. We're like, well, now that we're having right. a uh, civilized conversation, that now we're solving these problems. And dude, you have only created more. Just wait. Yeah. As Lester goes off to run away with his mistress, uh-huh. and he goes, now life is good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do have to say, though, so it, it's satirical, but people often confuse satire and comedy. Satire can be funny. It doesn't have to be. This movie is sometimes staged as a comedy, and in fact, there are some rough edges where it looks like things are played for kind of a goofy laughs. But mm-hmm. really, it's a comedy minus punchlines. Yeah, like, it, the, it's comedic in nature, but it's not like maybe because there's no laughing matter here. But like very few times is something played for laughs. I thought we were going to come in and be like, oh, well, this had this was funny in 75, but not anymore. But that's not true. I don't think it was funny at any point. In it's the, too nihilistic to be funny. The way, yeah, it's, it's in the way that the, we like, think uh, of funny. Like it's not huh, ha-ha. funny. But like when uh, George is being attacked. He gets to work and he's being attacked, right? By like from all sides, from uh customers, from his bosses. It feels like a boss who wants him to like be at work sometimes. Man, get off my case. I know, dude. <laughs> I'm I'm late. I'm late yeah. sometimes. Shut the fuck up. But like <laughs> it feel it feels like a Fraser episode without punchlines. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's not concerned with punchlines. So a Fraser yeah. episode. No, but I mean right cuz this is a classic sex farce. But in sex mm-hmm. farces, they always make jokes out of the fact that it's so absurd that, you know, people are hiding from each other. And But instead in this, it's like, yeah, there's nothing funny Isn't this grim? Because, yeah, yeah, all of these people but are hurting each other We're distracting so from much. real issues you, I think and causing... It's, it's a lot like a play in that you have to think, isn't this whole thing grim? But isn't this whole right. thing funny? Not ha-ha-ha funny, but isn't this whole thing mm-hmm. funny? Funny. And I, I think that's why this holds up better than i'm just assuming we all feel this way that this holds up better than holy grail because there's not jokes that can get stale there's just more stuff to sink your teeth there's not jokes that get stale but it's such to like an artifact like this is such a 1975 artifact that it's uh, in a lot of ways hard to deny you know like if you guys hated this movie Mm. i would understand but it's so 75 and trying to be 75 and trying to be 68 and not trying to be 2020 that like it sort of holds up because of that the part of the the, of you know our goal on this show is picking a a movie that's very emblematic of its time this is right up there with dog day as a movie yeah absolutely this is it snapshot of 75 Mm. even though it is set in 68 it is about the period between 68 and 75 it's about how 75 was built it's about how the collapse at the end of the 60s creates the like macabre and twisted world of the mid 70s and so like it 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 is dealing with 75 issues in a way that like few of the the other movies really are well i mean i don't think it's dealing with 75 issues i would say like four or five i would say almost 100 issues actually no that's insane that's That's so many issues since i heard you disagree with me i've like taken the position even harder (laughs) 
Do you know what's fucked up is uh, the movie poster? It's Warren Beatty, Goldie Hawn, and Jackie, whose name escapes me right now. But they all look modern seventy five because they wanted people to take the movie seriously and not think it was like a sexy a sixties goofy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they look they look weird as not their characters. <laughs> it looks it does look like shampoo, a hard hitting drama about a shampoo place. But I mean, I honestly I feel like it's closer to a hard hitting drama than it is to a comedy. Like I mean, it's about the wreckage of people's lives, and like, and it, you maybe laugh twice in the entire movie, and it's not even like mm-hmm. normal jokes. It's like, I, see, I think laughter. it's a soft hitting drama because like, there's certain dramas that can like gut you, like Revolutionary Road. Like you're watching people's lives crumble, and you're like, ugh. Where this one, while you're watching, it's like, huh. And it's only after I finish the movie has how torturous and awful they've made their Things own Things are lives. pretty hopeless, I guess, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Which is I hard to it, say like, in the last scene. It like, calls I, itself a comedy, though. Like, I think it kind of yeah. reckons itself a comedy. It does, and I sort of see it, maybe, but, like, I'm so glad that we watched this towards the end when we have adjusted to what a 75 movie is like, the pacing, you right. know? Yes. And so, like... We can We know that like it's just sort of a character study, and it's not going to. Sometimes fall. people are just going to be driving for a little bit. Yeah, and just like, deal with it. A new scene is coming soon. And sometimes they're going to be on a motorcycle. <laughs> How else will they get from one scene to the yeah, other? Two people are going to be confused. <laughs> They'll be on a motorcycle and not even wear a fucking helmet. Did you see that? When your well, when your hair's feathered like that, you can't put okay. a helmet or a hat on that. And you're wearing a pillow. If you hit the concrete, it's just going to be soft. And so soft. if you're going to motorcycle, make sure you've got that neckerchief tied really long. <laughs> You're going to want that flapping in the what breeze. What else will blow behind you in the breeze? <laughs> so the reason that I always wear a helmet on my motorcycle is because my hair is not that good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Of course. Speed round. The little robot saying speed round means it's time for speed round. What does this film say about the fear of death? Well, you know. I mean, we just talked about Freud, it with the helmetless motorcycling. Like, and more of baby wants us- to die. That we seek oblivion in, in two ways, right? We seek the oblivion of sexual release right. and the oblivion of, of actual death. And that's what this movie is 100% about, that like we just want out. One way or another, we want out. You know what I would have really loved is to watch Warren Beatty come. One, obvious reasons. <laughs> two, is it enjoyable for him? Or is he just like going through the motions like right. I have to... I that wonder is the point I want to give the least. I wonder if he's like a given. very proficient lover, but d- it, yeah, like isn't really into it. Yeah, like, yeah I th- I'm just. I think I'm he's gifted. really good at his job. Yeah, but yeah. doesn't he's like as distracted yeah. as he is doing hair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas like I suck at sex, but I am so enthusiastic about it that you got to give it up. That that kid's just trying. Yeah, look at him just trying, throwing his little heart into it. I, I swear to God, Greg, if you got a point because I said I want to watch Warren Beatty come, I'm gonna freak out. <laughs> no, no, Ryan, you got okay, that good. point. <laughs> George put his blow dryer in his jeans instead of a hip holster or a shoulder holster. Blown opportunity. Blown. Wait, is that a blown? Oh, okay. No, a bunch of hot air, Mike. <laughs> it's not point. It's not because. In the shoulder, it's not your penis. He puts it right yeah. where his penis is. Like, that's his wiener. Yeah, that's my big dong. And, I mean, they show you that basically when he humps yeah. that lady's head. While <laughs> right in my head. nuts, please. Is George Roundy where Derek Zoolander came from? Oh, shit. <laughs> Dude, the squint. Oh, my gosh. That's perfect. <laughs> He's doing blue steel. Like I'm going to say yes. Movie. I'm going to say yes. Also, right. they both understand right. that, like, when there's things you don't get, sometimes the best thing you can do is. Oh, just that's like, great. Huh? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Huh? 
Does this movie prove once and for all that shampoo is in fact better than conditioner? Yes. No, conditioner is better. It makes you shiny and smooth. No, it doesn't matter. God damn it, Craig. It's not conditioner. You don't even understand. Conditioner leaves your hair shiny and smooth. How much shampoo should I use per shower? I would say half as much as what a commercial tells you. Okay, wait, but if you're only doing it like three times a week, I'm going to say a third of a pump. If you're, do you have the pump? Also, bro, you have a beard, so get that shampoo yeah. down here into the And hit those the pits. Vase. Yeah. Ew. Hit those pits with it. No, I, I have special beard conditioner for my you hair. Oh, that's you the hipsterest thing oh, I've ever I'm heard. A, I'm bro, a dandy flop. You're a you should flop. see the giant floppy hat and white gloves I put on <laughs> to take care of my all, beard. All we're seeing right now is your short shorts and your pinwheel that you blow on <laughs> as you skip down the street. You flop. <laughs> That is all the time we that have. That speed, speed round? round. We're gonna come back and give out some awards. Hola, filterinos! I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/YourPopFilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash filter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp, he's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Taste Buds Shampoo was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Screenplay, and Best Art Direction. It won Best Supporting Actress for Lee Grant, who played Felicia. Mike, we're talking yes. about a movie that won an Oscar. Uh, it's yeah, so rare it's for so us. so crazy. Does that mean we hate it now? I, I don't know. Do, do you guys think that like Lee, what's her name? Lee Evans? Lee Grant. Lee Grant. Could she win the Moody for Best Supporting Actress, do you think? Let's see. Well, there's only one way to find out. All right, uh, but none of these awards matter. Our awards matter. S- starting with Grooviest Moment. Greg? So uh, I anticipated that because this movie was about sex and it was from 75, there'd be some groovy content in it. Uh, And the word groovy is used several times. So I was pretty excited about that. For me, it's when they're at that big house party, which is like reminded me of the Playboy Mansion. But that's the Playboy Mansion. It's supposed to be. It's got to be right. It seems like it. Yeah. Like the tennis court looks exactly like the Playboy Mansion tennis court. And they're in that area. So it would totally make sense. Um, but like, so they're in the Playboy Mansion, let's say, and uh, Lester's like walking across the bridge. He gets offered grass from two naked hippies in a hot tub, and he's like, "Yeah, okay, I'll skinny dip with you." Uh, it doesn't work out that way, but in that one moment, mm-hmm. groovy, baby. So simply groovy. Groovy. So mine is so close to that, Mike. It's uh, the moment where two hippies are in the jacuzzi, which I think is the. Playboy Mansion's version of the what is it the Grotto the, the Grotto. Grotto where they they went and did some research and it was just covered in jism yeah so yeah yeah because that's years ago you retire there to get intimate <laughs> with one or more consenting adults but two hippies in the jacuzzi were like hey come in and uh, Jack Warden was like should I and then they were like right. we don't care <laughs> honestly <laughs> like what the do whatever the fuck you want bro and, and that's like well. 
I gotta get a big towel then. Hang on. <laughs> and oh, just, where, like, just moment, jump in, Jared. brother. Where are the towels? Because yeah. this is a cabana, right? Hey, uh, you guys, you know it's kind of fun to think about in that in that in that little situation there. If you were in age closer to one of the participants, who would it be? Would it be the hippies or would it be less? Oh, it's shut, shut up! Shut <laughs> up! <laughs> I would have black socks for days. That is clearly and talking yourself out of a threesome because you have to go find the towel. Yes, <laughs> that is clearly the grooviest moment. You both get points. Best do Ryan. Oh man, uh, best to I have to give to Warren Beatty for his yeah. nonstop yeah. helmet. Uh, like, there's no way that a helmet could control his hair. <laughs> like, it, did he just wake up? Did, is he about to go to sleep? His hair is always perfect. He knows that he has to represent what a good hairdo stylist he is, and he always has the best hair. He's a walking billboard for his own product. And apparently what you do, the best thing you can do is feather it out to the extreme ends. <laughs> Looking at his hair, it made it helped me understand so much of like what I've seen from like the 70s and 80s. Have you guys ever this put like- hair on a Lego person? <laughs> That's what this looks like. <laughs> and yeah, so he can't put on a hat. He can't put on a helmet. It's just and like it's Dirk Diggler hair basically, but t- like teased out an extra degree even more than that. I want to do it. I think we should all feather our hair by next summer. <laughs> Just all of us buzzing my, it into a Minneapolis can, hotel with my feathered froze. huge if I poof it out I like know. That. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, you and I will not be able to do as good as Greg is able to yeah, do. Yeah. I, I I, my hair was made for this time. So you both say right, Warren Beatty. Dude, yeah. I want to shout out HM to the bat, Julie Christie, the back half. Uh, Jackie's hair looks fucking sharp, and I'm in love with it. I also love uh, Goldie Hawn's hair when she goes to the uh, the voting thing. You mm-hmm. know, like the party, the bistro. Um, her hair, like it's a little bit pulled into a ponytail, but the most of it is laid down. She has that very short dress on. She looks amazing. I think you're mostly talking about her dress there, Ryan. What do you think Greg's cringe is going to be? <laughs> Is this how you want to do it? <laughs> no. Greg, cringe. Uh, for me, there is there are a few different cringy moments, oh, but yeah. there is some bad F word in this movie, and I just have to admit that that word causes me to literally cringe. It is employed first as, I think, a slur, and then, then very conversationally right after that. Uh, yeah, and it just... it's. It's not a fun word. There's a full-on, and I sort of miss this for movies, too, where you could just go to the fridge and bring out 10 different courses and put them on the <laughs> counter, and now we're eating. Like It's a full-on indoor picnic. Like They've got ham. They've got vegetables. Uh, but they use the F word that Greg is referring to. Yeah, Warren no. Beatty and uh, Carrie Fisher just Carrie go Carrie back Fisher, and forth yeah. seeing who could say it more often. Yeah, it and felt it's like so an exciting. old Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> you're so happy to see Carrie Fisher. She looks so young and full of life, and you're like, "Oh my god, there she is!" And then she says that, and you're like, "Oh shoot, <laughs> you ruined it." And she uses it in real interesting ways I hadn't oh, heard yeah. before. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Ryan. She uses it as an adverb, I believe. So yes. that's pretty cool. Ryan, what is your cringe? I think that's part of the game. I think that this movie does a pretty good job of keeping gay culture in the loop, I think, for the time. I'm going to go with uh, Bill Pope's character of just thinking that he's not a creepy person. Oh, the director? Johnny Pope? Johnny Pope. Uh, Just thinking that, like, no, no, I'm not like them, but being more like them than he could Mm. ever know. 
and also like the next generation of them. Yeah, and wanting to fuck uh, Jack Warden more than he wants to fuck Goldie Hawn. You know, like <laughs> just such a slime bag. Uh, mine is Goldie Hawn saying, "Know what I read in Cosmopolitan? If you don't have a baby by thirty, you're gonna have a Mongolian idiot." Yeah, all of that is ugh. all right. Pound for pound performance, Ryan. I have to. My God, this was a hard one because it is mostly an ensemble, but I have to give it to Jack Warden. I think that he does this amazing thing that I'm always impressed by of being very upset by the situation, but knowing that he's being watched. And so he'll be sad and then he'll look at somebody and smile. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to switch my frown upside down. I think that Jack Warden watching Warren Beatty sexually march through his entire life is worth the price of admission. So the, specifically at the party. That, and that's the most like farcical the movie is, is at the political party where yeah. Pops is opening champagne and pouring on people because he's not, he's just watching Warren Beatty hit on all of Jack's women. That's one of the moments where you feel like, okay, that's where they were trying to make a comedy. Yeah. yeah. Like there should either that's be That's the Fraser episode. Or there shouldn't be any of that at all. <laughs> there shouldn't just be like three instances. But see, of that. I disagree. That's so weird. No, the movie I... the movie is so unfunny that it becomes a Hitchcock movie. And <laughs> that that night at the bistro, that hour at the bistro is like the the like the moment in rope where, oh, it's going down right now. I think it's way more of a like a thriller than it is a comedy. Greg, what is your pound for pound performance? You know, the first time I saw it, I thought it it was the same guy you did, Ryan. But watching it the second time, for me, it's Goldie Hawn um, because Jill knows, like, I think on some level, Jill knows exactly what's going on, and she knows that she is trying to transform this guy into something that he's not really capable of being. And she at once wants him to be like the head of the household, but then also she's like having to create him. She's like his girlfriend and like his mother at the same time. There's a scene that says this, which is, I need to fucking talk to you. And she says it four times. Mm -hmm. Four times she keeps bringing him back. But then he'll do very small, charming things, and it kind of wins her back. Yeah. And when you watch Goldie Hawn, you see how Jill is doing it to herself. Like, it's not that he's so charming. It's that she is constantly deluding herself. Mm. And that really led to my understanding the movie on a different level, which is that these people are prisoners of their own actions, not of the actions of each other. They're prisoners of their own actions. And it was her acting that, like, pointed that out to me. But if you, if you think about Shampoo, too, she's the only one that's okay. Like, Jack Borden, Julie Christie, and Warren Beatty are fucked. Yeah. Yeah. I think she learned enough to get out of this awful, I think she, toxic, terrible yeah. environment. Yeah, that's why, Ryan, you said earlier she's the main character, because she actually arcs. And mine is straight out of the movie. Julie Christie is, I, I think, for, for a lot of the reasons you said, Greg, about Goldie Hawn, but Julie Christie, the she's old enough to know everything she's doing. Literally, every action she makes is horrible, except for what she orders for lunch with Goldie Hawn. Like everything after that, she is hurting herself and knows it. You can see it in her eyes. But she's she's got this weird thing about her where she's like, she does this thing where she's like, I'm in a farce and I'm also not. Mm-hmm. How does she do both of those things at the same time? Everybody else in the movie is like, <laughs> farce, farce. <laughs> but she does this thing of like, no, but this is real though. She is amazing. Yeah, I was surprised that Lee Grant won. I don't think she was bad, but she is playing such a big, broad character. Yeah, I would have put her behind so... Like, any of our answers, I think, are better than that. Suck it, Lee Grant. Yeah, boom. But And also, <laughs> nobody picked Warren Beatty, right? No. 
No, I mean, man, what an odd performance. I think he got what he was going for, but it's just a weird thing to to go for. It, like. it was a little Seinfeldian in that. Let's watch the other people be characters. Right. Seinfeldian in the way that he was like David right. Putty, <laughs> just like squinting and confused. <laughs> yeah, I don't care for that term. Final Great. award, Greg, director's signature moment. So uh, I was thinking about it, and I, I guess I was thinking about Harold and Maude, and there is something about the monologue that uh, George gives about when he's talking to Goldie Hawn about like, yeah, I sleep with them. Nah, I, you know, who cares? Yeah, I, I guess I do. They want to sleep with me. I sleep with them. Uh, this sort of like the way it lays out everything that is wrong with George and mm. the way in which his life is so aggressively non-considered. Um, I thought it captured the like sort of true real, both sound of the dialogue and real way people sort of walk through their own thoughts. Um, and it reminded me a little uh, of Harold and Maude, which is like a, a kind of like a, a, a grittier comedy than most and features you know, real people in very unusual situations. Good answer. Ryan? I feel like that uh, if we are Hal Ashby people, then we are definitely Harold and Maude people. You know, like, I don't know if we... Oh, yeah, dude. I don't know if we've ever talked about being there or really any of Hal Ashby's other movies. And I think that we've talked about a little bit about tonight how he didn't direct this. Like, mm-hmm. this is Warren Beatty and Robert Town going to town on this movie. And he was just sort of there. But Harold Amad is a Hal Ashby movie through and through. I have to give it to the one point where I knew this is not Beatty, this is not Robert Town, is War Beatty, like Human Torch, denied a bank loan, going outside and having a fucking shit fit in the camera. Absolute fit. (laughs) And the camera did not move. And that is it, is that the rest of the movie is such classic, uh, you know, on you, on you editing. Mm-hmm. Like, camera A, camera B, camera A, camera B, editing. And that's like television. But Warren Beatty, for, I'm going to say a solid 50 seconds, has an absolute fit and chucks that jacket into the trash can and then has to get the trash or get the jacket <laughs> from the trash can. Only manages to make his own day worse. Yeah. <laughs> That's anytime you're losing your temper, that's all you're doing, guys. Come on. And I think that was the time where Hal Ashby was like, ah, why don't we kick back? Why don't yeah. we just watch this happen? That, and at the end, he he lets it linger on Beatty again at the top of the hill. And there's no dialogue. You can't really see his face, but you know he's going, oh, fuck. And we, what am we I doing a, now? We get a little bit of a callback, a very little bit of a callback at the end where uh, Julie Christie's leaving the restaurant and Warren Beatty's like, what about your jacket? <laughs> and she's, she's like, I don't care. But but no, you could take that. You could trash that. You should take that jacket and throw it around. <laughs> you could at least so throw like it around. exert your energy. Right. All right, gentlemen. The final thing that can give you points before we take a break and reveal who wins. Recommendations. Ryan. Uh, I mentioned it before, but I'm going to say Cheers season four and five. Season four is the end of. That's when what's her name? Rebecca? Nope. Season Kirstie Alley? Nope. <laughs> That's Rebecca. Season five is when Kirstie Alley playing Rebecca comes in. <laughs> comes on, yeah. Season four is when Shelly Long. Shelly Long, leaves. is that who it is? And it that is a transition for the show where uh Sam Malone goes from like a guy that we that we think is cool and we admire goes to being a pathetic piece of shit. And 
I can't believe a sitcom did this. I really do think it's one of the best sitcoms, one of the best TV shows of all time. And did because it makes that transition between a woman who's kind of obsessed with him, even though he's bad for her, to a woman who doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit and and, tells him how stupid he is constantly. And then that has this ripple effect of like, wait, she doesn't care about me. Do any girls care about me? And then Mm -hmm. he has to deal with that. It really is great. It's kind of like when Idris Elba comes on to The Office and he doesn't like Jim. Uh, Jim. <laughs> Jim, yeah. <laughs> Just totally like the, the character no longer knows how to function. <laughs> you know how I comedically wore this tuxedo. <laughs> but no, I think that Cheers is a great follow-up to Shampoo. Greg. Yeah, for me, we mentioned it earlier, but I, I just couldn't stop thinking about Uncut Gems because the even though there's not the like the violent outburst in this, just the like I kept saying to myself, how do these people have the energy to do this? How do they have the energy to like go from one assignation to the next? How do they like keep it all straight and why do they do it? And that's just the way that H- Howard is constantly trying to stay one step ahead of contemplation mm-hmm. of the abyss, contemplation of the meaninglessness of life, of how ter- terrible everything is. Um, and so I guess they have the energy they have to do it is because they're avoiding something that's chasing them. But, uh, yeah, that sort of tension and that sort of nihilism that I felt in uncut gems, a sort of disordered behavior. I felt all through this movie. And what's amazing about this movie is that that wasn't the point, you know, like, right? Yeah. That was just a secondary outcome of how the movie works, man. Right. I love Ryan. both your brains. You both argued so well for your recommendations and they are not. Like, I don't know, Heaven Can Wait's another Warren Beatty movie. <laughs> you guys rule. Uh, mine We're is Tangerine. Uh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Where, gotta rep my boy Sean Baker, uh, another frantic LA. People yeah. are uh, making choices they know are wrong to the point that it's making their bad days worse. But and all- it's funny because it's like lower on the socioeconomic ladder, mm-hmm. but it's the same sort of things. Going to house parties, yeah. like people who are basically sex workers or just literally sex workers. It's it is a good good comparison. And both movies are like it's as if Loki said, "All right, before your son comes down again." Like both movies are yes, not in real yeah. time, but like twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. You know, Tangerine feels like yeah, they both I feel love that like shit. In real time. If if your movie takes place in a day period, I'm gonna love you. Yeah. I agree. Listen to me, filmmakers. Just do that. <laughs> Just do that. All right. We're going to take the quickest of breaks. And when we come back, who won? You decide. That's not true. I, you, you, the two of you decided throughout the show. Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. We've come to the end. Gentlemen, before we say how we think Shampoo could do in the final fight, I have to reveal who won. Whom? Who are Greg, who? you got 40 points this show. Hey, when he does me first, it's... Ryan, you got 40 points this show. Uh-oh, wow. it's a tie. Oh, wow. So, either you share your best friendship, or right now, we have to figure out how to break this tie. I say uh, we share. I'm okay with the share. Yeah, we will share it. Like those two guys that won the gold medal for the high jump? 
Big Judge was like, okay. you guys can just, you can both win. And they were like, sure. You I know, think that uh, Mike at yourpotfilter.com is going to get a lot of emails about how he left this a tie. Like, that's insane. I didn't, I don't really, I think what makes me good host is I'm not tracking the points as they come in. I know. It, it, I, I tabulate and I go, holy shit. You guys made equal points jokes. And I think that arguments. we should just recognize that by share by splitting the All title. Right. It has happened, I think, one other time that there's been a tie in the, in the whole show. So I think honestly, should... I think you guys were a lot nicer last time I tied you guys. I mean, or no, wait, the opposite, meaner. Yeah, how yeah. much right nicer now you're being very be kind. No, 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 no. You you were monsters last time. Yeah, I was gonna say what's Mike's favorite Warren Beatty movie, but that's fine. You guys tied. Don't Dick worry Tracy. About it. it is. Uh, it's McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Actually, fun fact. Oh, oh what a what a what a cool nerd. That is a fun fact. Oh, oh okay. Uh, when I was oh, the host, and there was a tie, Greg. Uh, then I would like make you guys do something, and I would settle the tie, and I would like declare a winner. But apparently, I was gonna. I, okay, I, Greg I, wins. Greg's I, the winner. I thought Ryan just it, fucked himself into not winning. A lot of times, what I do is I just try to remain totally quiet to see if things <laughs> break my way. And I honestly, couldn't believe, and only Patreon listeners know this, but I couldn't believe when Greg in the Patreon episode was like, "Uh, Mike, if you don't pick me, then you're a dumbass." Man, I got so many points from that. Like yeah. that's that's <laughs> how I tied, basically. <laughs> it's it's real. Uh, you know, you have a pop off sibling. You're both in trouble, but mm-hmm. if you stay quiet a little longer than them, they will dig their own hole. And our host is such an insecure piece of shit that and a gentleman, <laughs> and and really like a rude, angry, like uh, this is how we have to deal with it. It's just like also ah. handsome. He's like he's like Alex Trebek died, and he is the Michael Richards of Jeopardy. Uh, I like that you guys can't hear it, but the listeners know how many points Greg's getting. He already won, bitch. Okay. He, but now he won. It's like 50 to 40. Sure. Fucking loser. I'm running yeah. away with it in OT. All right. That is the show. How is Shampoo going to do? I, I, I really like Shampoo, but here's the thing. This is my third time watching it, and I read a ton of essays about it before I watched it for the third time. Mm-hmm. This is what 75 is, is like, you're not ready for this jelly. You know, like, you have <laughs> to be ready for the movie that we present you, as opposed to other years, which is like, yeah, just another 2004 movie, you know? I have to say, for me, it uh, this season really has been about rewatching the movies, and if you're listening at home and sometimes you watch these movies and they you don't like them, but then we go off on them, consider just re-watching them another time. Mm-hmm. Shampoo for me really opened up the second time I watched it. And I'm so glad I did watch it that second time. I don't think it has what it takes to make much noise in the bracket, but that's right. not an indictment of the, of the movie. It, it definitely had a goal and it has different I mean, goals. This is- and- but this is also the year with Dog Day and Jaws. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And so it kind of ran into stiff competition doing similar things mm-hmm. to what it's it's doing and everything. But like this movie was worth making, it was worth seeing, it was worth talking about. Oh yeah, it, phenomenal. It, yeah. And it, it had its own angles on everything. And so and just consider I don't think it's a first round loser. I think it, it could depending on who it goes up against, I think it can go on. Yeah. I just don't I guess I wouldn't put long I wouldn't give it much of a chance of taking everything down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it's, like not, you know, would. it's gonna get dunked on. So you're gonna Venmo us one hundred dollars for the victory of this movie. <laughs> what is it called? Wait, oh, shampoo. <laughs> for one hundred dollars for shampoo. Is what that's you're what saying. you're doing? No, that you said that you're gonna vote for it. 
No, that's not what I said. Way to listen. Next week, the last movie in the real bracket is Three Days of Condor. Until then, 